Just a quick word of warning before we get going that the following podcast will almost certainly contain spoilers and may also contain strong language and conversations of an adult nature. Hello and welcome to Strong Language and Violent Scenes, the podcast giving a second chance to films that might not deserve them. I'm Mitch Bain, I'm a lapsed horror writer and an occasional doer of musical things. And I'm Andy Stewart. And joining us this evening, he is the host of the Brain Rot podcast, it's Mr. Stevie Webb. Good evening, I'm very honoured, it's about time you asked me on here. Oh, well, it seemed like a good time to do it. The podcast seems to be going amazingly well for you, and we thought yeah. what you do is very much in the kind of wheelhouse of what we like to do. Let's bring mm-hmm. these worlds together. Let's have them collide. Yeah, it's an absolutely brilliant idea. And um, yeah, I think I, I picked the perfect film. <laughs> I think that that's fair. But yeah, like pretty much as soon as we caught wind of Brain Rot and started listening, it's like, yeah, I have a feeling we're going to get along. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Um, but yes, you have come at us with Brain Scan. Brain Scan, 1994. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Although so, it was, uh, I believe it was 95 when it came out. That's the first time I saw it. I remember it was a new release. <laughs> so that would, would have been 1995. So I was uh, about 11 years old, I think. Right. Okay. okay. Why this one? Mainly because I have very fond memories of it. And I, I did revisit it, but I was still a child. And as soon as you started to talk about um, asking me for a list of films, just it jumped out at me. I saw the poster and I remembered certain things from the film. I think when I was younger, I very much gravitated towards films well a films that had characters in it who were horror fans yeah that was always so enticing to me that's why you know the film serial mom the john waters yeah. so you have matthew lillard and he's a huge horror fan in it so seeing people like me in a film about <laughs> the stuff that we like it was like a double layered double whammy that i just always thought was really really intriguing mm-hmm. and b i really love films where a kid has a secret or special friend whether that be drop dead fred or this or you know even et to an extent you know yeah. that that secret person that's in their bedroom that only they can communicate with that understands them and i think oh in this one it's a bit it's a bit darker but <laughs> yeah. than, than than what drop dead fred gets the girl to do but um <laughs> but i think i i uh yeah i just i gravitated towards that i really enjoyed it so uh, yeah so you got a boy who's like me who's a horror fan and to this secret that I suppose in a lot of those films it can be a metaphor you know there's some subtext there about something that you're keeping to yourself or burying but um yeah I think they're the main reasons that I love them then and uh all the more now yeah is this is this a film that you've kind of like you've found yourself revisiting a lot over the years then? no I, I think I've only revisited once and that was a long time ago that must be 10 years ago but it stayed there uh, so so many of the kind of some of the really interesting conversations i've had lately have been people kind of picking things that they got into kind of like they, when they were around the kind of age that you're talking about but mm. then went yeah the longest time without going back to it sometimes they haven't even gone back to it until they did it for this so um so that's interesting andy i'm guessing that your history with this one is a little bit more storied than mine uh, i'd say it's more storied than yours but it's not much more storied i would say than Stevie's because I remember, I mean, I'm a couple of years older than Stevie and I didn't catch this when it was like in the video shops or anything like that. I caught it at home on Sky or cable or something like that. 
and I remember videotaping it off the telly. So <laughs> I had it on one of those videotapes. It starts with like starts with adverts for old things on Sky or whatever the service, <laughs> the service was. And and then yeah, and then and then brain scan and yeah, it's a film I hadn't really thought about much over the years. I know a few people that we're quite friendly with, Mitch, talk about the film a lot, and it kind of pops up sporadically in conversation. But I've never really thought, huh, I'm going to go back and watch that until now. And, you know, I'm glad I did. Yeah. You're um, welcome. Yeah. <laughs> Weirdly, um, a, wee, a wee while ago, like a couple of years ago, I was scoring a film for a friend of mine, and I was like, "What do you want to take cues from?" And one of the things that he mentioned uh, was brain scan. So I've actually I've heard I was like very familiar with the score to this, but I actually hadn't seen it until today. Mm. So it was weird to have that first. So obviously, like yeah, much much fresher eyes for me. I saw this for the first time literally just in the time it took. <laughs> Count back an hour and a half from now. <laughs> um, pretty much um, so yeah my reaction is very fresh and kind of I would say probably still forming but um, mm. Stevie before we get into this if you've listened before you might know this is coming uh, we ask everybody oh, who comes shit, on oh shit yeah <laughs> <laughs> but, oh no of course I know exactly what you're going to do Oh, it's, I'm not good under pressure the thing is I could probably just naturally do a 30 second one but being told it's 30 seconds I'm going to crumble I know it um, okay, I would say, like, just three piece of advice from somebody who has heard an awful <laughs> lot of these. Uh, Tend towards brevity. Don't get too bogged down in scene yeah. setting. 30 seconds yeah. disappears mm-hmm. fast, right? I'm, I'm going to do this. You, I'm going to If, you, if nail the this. time is a concern, why don't we just put a nebulous time limit on it and I'll tell you when to stop. That time limit. <laughs> no, I want to do this properly. I want to do it the way everyone else has to do it. That's, okay, that's, that's, that's what I like to hear. Okay, three, two, okay. one, go. Shit. Brain Scan is the story of a teenager uh, horror fan called Kevin who was left with scars after a car crash that killed his mother uh, when he was younger. And he learns of this new CD-ROM game that claims to be the scariest, weirdest game ever and his curiosity leads him to try it. The game transports Michael into an all-too-real virtual reality in which he plays a murderer. Uh, When he wakes, it turns out that the murder was real and the game's master, called Trickster, convinces him to keep playing this deadly game with dangerous consequences. (laughs) Time! I gotta tell you, for all the nerves that you had before that, that was excellent. You did yeah. mislabel the main character Kevin right at the beginning. But yeah. apart from did that, I say Kevin? <laughs> did but, I say Kevin? Yeah. Good start. Uh, but, apart, but apart from that, I would say that was that was spot on. That but was, you, I think I think that was great. You did redeem yourself. You did come back to Michael uh, the second time <laughs> you mentioned him. So uh, I think the nerves had maybe kicked in early on, and then but, those kind of plateaued off a little bit, and everything was fine. But that's not even a name of anyone involved in the film or in, in my head. Kevin. Kevin! Yeah. Maybe it was a Home Alone thing. Because in my head I was like, was that the actor? No, no, it wasn't that. <laughs> that's bizarre. Um, but you are correct, of course. Our main character is uh, Michael Brower, played here by Edward Furlong. Where are we on the Terminator timeline here? T2 was 91? Yeah. Yep. Uh, okay, okay. So, so he, like, he's a household name at this point. I always think it's kind of commendable when people who are already household names pick mental things to do. Yeah, apparently he was an absolute arse, though. The director, John Flynn, said he just was an absolute nightmare to work with and yeah. just could like he just wouldn't wake up when, he, when it was a morning shoot. It just so interesting. But, I mean, come on, all those kids that shoot to fame at that age yeah. or something, they always get a little bit affected. We've all been sure. 15. It's difficult to rouse a 15-year-old from their slumber. <laughs> That's right? very true. But, very I, I mean, true. I think that given the way that Edward Furlong's 
career went after this uh, and kind of all the way up to Pecker and beyond. I, I don't know, it felt maybe feels a bit like the writing was on the wall. I actually interviewed Edward Furlong in uh, Somerset in about 20, I want to say 2012, 2011. And um, he, he was lovely when he when he finally got there. But again, he turned up looking like he was half asleep drinking a can of Red Bull. <laughs> so maybe that's something that has never quite left him. Maybe that's just his thing. He could be narcoleptic and everyone's talking yeah, shit be, about yeah, him. We don't know. Just, been assholes to him his whole career. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, Stevie, you mentioned kind of Michael's backstory um, in this, where obviously, yeah, he's he's uh, survived the car crash that killed his mother, and we get that. I would say that kind of like fairly solidly drip fed uh, to us during this kind of opening titles. I love the main theme to this film, the as in the score theme. Yeah, yeah. the score. Oh, yeah. God, I, I thought you meant like the the overarching moral. <laughs> no, I see. <laughs> <laughs> Um, oh no, it's so good, and they—I mean—they overplay it to the point where it starts being welcome again. I think. Yeah, yeah. And uh, mm-hmm. by the way, much if you were uh, being sent cues to this, you might as well be sent cues to anything that Angelo Badalamenti did before this, because it's got that real kind of twin peaksy strings thing yeah. going on in it. Yeah, I like that that that, that kind of like twangy but quite bassy guitar sound and yeah. a big Twin Peaks thing to me as well actually yeah I did yeah. write that down but we come to have it kind of fed to us that this was the car crash that killed his mother yeah um, <laughs> one of the first characters that we meet because we, we like I think that this this film kind of like doesn't speed your character introductions but we meet Kyle right away his best friend who is the one that tells him about uh, Brain Scan yeah, uh, he reads it in he reads it in Fangoria that there's this um terrifying new C D ROM game. <laughs> but the mm-hmm. um the guy, Jamie Marsh, the actor, he um who played Kyle, he was twenty seven when he filmed this. It looks Fuck like... off. No way. He does look it. Actually if you if now once you know that, look again. So Edward Furlong is fifteen mm. and his best friend is twenty seven. Or twenty eight. I mean he was born in like sixty six or something. <laughs> it's crazy. Wow. <laughs> It's wild, isn't it? I am reeling from that. And so and so is the um the girl who plays Kim next door. She's well into her twenties, and I thought it was interesting because they do have a moment later between they her do. and Edward Furlong where he's where she's sort of straddling him and riding him on the bed. <laughs> Once I've learned, <laughs> Jesus Christ, learned that yeah. fact, <laughs> it's very interesting. But yeah, so we've met we've met Kyle. Um, they're kindred spirits because they're they're both into their horror and they yeah. like Fangoria and stuff like that. But I have to say straight away, I think this is something I loved at the time was the, uh, the sort of super high-tech computer phone. He's hooked up his phone to his PC and he's created the sort of Igor butler that goes, Master, what number do you want to call? Um, yeah. Which I, I even when, you know in Clueless when she's picking her wardrobe and it's mm-hmm. a, a, literally like that and it matches her outfits. And I just thought this at the time was so cool. It's basically the prototype for Siri, what he's got here. Yeah, uh-huh. Um, yeah, I wrote Alexa, but we're in the same ballpark there. Oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah. I really like Kyle. I think that the film does a much more convincing job of selling him as likable than it does with Michael. Yeah. yeah. Because, I mean, the first thing that we see is Michael having a conversation with uh, Kyle, but while he's doing that, he's spying on Kimberly. Uh, yeah, he's who is, filming is... her. He's got yeah. a fucking camcorder. It's really dodgy. And also... <laughs> when he sort of pulls away from the camera and looks just through the window, the the menace and look on his face is very disturbing. And so straight away, I don't think they're setting him up no. to be a very likable protagonist. I Agreed. think that's exactly it. I mean, we, we do like Kyle. Kyle's, Kyle's a likable character. But I think the fact that from kind of moment one that we spend with Michael, he is painted like this creepy little weirdo. Um, yeah. So it makes the is he a killer or isn't he a killer thing far more... Yeah. palatable not just to us but to everyone in the town who already thinks he's an absolute inverted commas a freak yeah, yeah. 
like that's a that's a good point. It does make that more compelling. I also um, it says a lot that when he falls silent for like ten or fifteen seconds, Kyle immediately knows what's going on. He's like, "So, uh, <clears throat> how's Kimberly looking tonight?" I was like, "Oh God, is right. it that common? Does he do it yeah. that often?" But no, no, yeah. his pal knows. So this is like this is something that's going on for a while, and Kimberly knows. And to be honest, she seems fine with it. Well, yeah. I mean, are we spoiler? Yeah, oh, we can jump ahead. Spoiler heavy. Well, spoiler yeah. Heavy. Well, we find out later she's photographing him secretly as well. So it's a mutual creepiness they've got going on. I yeah, refuse I to like... believe there was never an overlap moment where their cameras pointed at each other. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very convenient timing yeah, and all that. Just a stream of love hearts fired out the lenses, met in the middle. <laughs> Like, balance of probabilities, that's got to have happened at least one time. But you're right, yeah, obviously, like, yeah, it's jumping ahead, like, about as far as you can jump. But yeah, ultimately, like, what kind of brings them together is just like, I'm sorry, I'm a massive creep. It's like, oh, I'm stalking you too. Oh, we have so much in common. But don't leave your stalking photos out on the what, like, in your bedroom. Put the, you, you keep them away because it's not only the fact that the person you're stalking might see them, but your pa- like, her parents anyone yeah just, just like a lot of photos of the boy next door here but um, he doesn't seem to be aware of being taken but yeah like considering they're both voyeurs they're very bad at noticing when they're being voyeured on <laughs> that's true <laughs> um, uh, but yeah we learn a little bit about brain scan which is obviously going to become important as we go on uh, brain scan is this kind of like just like i think you mentioned in the synopsis it's a cd-rom game but it's like immersive uh revolutionary and it tailors itself to the sensibilities of the user all this stuff he asks for some proof and gets electrocuted <laughs> i don't really uh, yeah. so somehow remotely the uh, the game has electrocuted him on his chair just to give him a little taste to to make sure the game is you know that he knows the game is serious and it's real yeah. yeah, and then he's like, oh, oh, and sort of just doesn't really kick up a fuss about the fact that he just got electrocuted. Yeah, so he goes goes to school. Yeah, yeah. And it's crazy to me that in the aftermath of that, you would still play the game. <laughs> yes, quite. It's it's literally just caused you quite a lot of pain. Yeah. Now, Steve, I'm guessing that like you're talking about the fact that obviously, kind of like one of the entry points for you when you were watching this was the fact that uh, you've got protagonists who are horror fans, and you mentioned Serial Mom, which I actually just watched for the first time like two weeks ago. Oh, so um, no way! It's like very fresh in my mind. But um, yeah, so obviously we get a little bit more of this when we watch uh, when we see the uh, horror club that Michael and Kyle. Well, I, it, at first I was just like they're like part of, but presumably because when the principal who reminds me kind of like partly of Donald Trump and partly of the. Uh, stuffy parents from Dirty Dancing comes in and is like oh what's all this and shuts it down Fromberg yeah he yeah he kind of like um, he shuts it down but I love this entire thing where you've got all the kids sitting in the room watching the horror film and <laughs> when the principal comes in there's just like they're having this kind of heated exchange about how inappropriate this is but in the background there's just that guy with that gigantic mask on just looking dead eye straight not reacting to anything that's going on around him <laughs> there's always that guy <laughs> <laughs> If you can't identify it in your friend group, it's you. <laughs> For anyone wondering, this was uh, Death, Death, Death Part 2, which uh, yes. I, I really would quite like to see. That's a really funny moment, yeah, because they're in the principal's office. and uh, Well, the principal bans it. He's, he bans yeah. the horror club. The sick but film. then, within in the same breath, says, uh, I ban horror club, you can't do this anymore, but I will... App- I have to pre-approve any material that you use in Horror Club. And it's like, hang on, is it banned? Mm. Or do we just give you the material if you say we can watch it, then Horror Club goes ahead? I think that's what they end up sort of settling on. It's very mixed messages. It is a bit, because he he comes out with the gates being like, yeah, he's like, oh, this is banned, like, ban this sick filth. But then immediately is like, actually, no, it's like, yeah, I'll vet what you want to show. 
But um, I feel like that you're onto a loser there right away because the the kind of tone of the conversation that Fromberg's kind of given out here is that this is sick filth, it's senseless violence, it's devoid of entertainment value, it's no different to watching porn. And yeah, I th- I, th- I think that this conversation is kind of interesting. It's kind of uncomfortable, but it's interesting sure. because I think that, like because it does speak quite well to. The fact that like there's that kind of conservative mentality that kind of like if they don't like something they just ascribe this one size fits all immorality to it. Well, that was kind mm-hmm. of very prevalent at this time in America, uh, yeah, especially because this was kind of round about the time that the moral majority and Tipper Gore's mob were kicking about trying to get parental advisory stickers on albums and trying yeah. to censor things, and uh, so this would have been a kind of prescient right-wing conservative argument yeah i think that like for as much time as the film spends on it i think it speaks to quite a like conversation they have is pretty intelligent about it i think so i think it's pretty good <laughs> yeah uh, on the way home from school michael swings by a crash or crime scene you say swings by his uh limp comes and goes whenever it seems appropriate yeah yeah <laughs> it's, it's every now and then when it's important in the story he limps a lot yeah. when it's not he kind of forgets to yeah, but if he has to run through the woods in the night to escape a armed neighbourhood watch mob, he runs quite well. <laughs> the first meeting of a Detective Hayden here, uh, played by Frank Langella, who spends this entire film profiling Michael as a murderer. I really like Frank Langella. I think that he tends to kind of bring a bit of gravitas to whatever he does. I think that this is no exception to that. I think that it's really fun to watch him yep. like kind of work with this material. I think this is a, like, it's a, it's a real kind of feather in the cap of the film, I think. Yeah, second outing on the show for Frank Langelovich. Behind? Masters of the Universe. Masters of the Universe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, Frank, Frank Langelovich, uh, doing great work here, I think. Absolutely. Yeah, I think, I think so. And it's, and it's, you know, it's a, I suppose you can call it a cameo, really. And I bet everyone was really excited that they got him because back in the 90s, yeah, he was he was a name. Mm. And um, I mean, he just plays one note throughout the whole thing, but it's that perfect Frank Langella stern sort of <laughs> note that you come mm. to expect and I think he's great at it. Yeah, I think yeah, it's, it's like gravitas that the film really needs, to be honest, because I think in the hands of somebody else or without a big name like that in that role, I, I think the film potentially could slip into much schlockier territory. I think if the thing is, when I was re-watching it just today, it was tamer than I remember. I, mm. I don't know mm-hmm. why in my head I thought there was a bit more. And I, I do know the uh, towards the end there was a, a whole section that originally was more gory and more, more monstrous, but um, they took it away. Mm. Um, but it, this, uh, it was written by um, Andrew Kevin Walker, who... <laughs> At this time, who wrote Seven and Eight Millimeter, uh, Sleepy Hollow, I think. Yeah, as well. yeah absolutely. Uh, and so, so he's got the chops. And so, I don't know where I don't. I, it's not that it falls flat. This mm-hmm. film, I think, it just remains on a safe sort of sub level the whole time, which I don't mind. It's an easy watch. I completely agree with that. Without necessarily wanting it to do more, I spent a lot of time expecting it to. Mm-hmm. Like and and I th- and I think that like um the fact that it never went to eleven in the way that I was kind of always mentally kind of readying myself for didn't bother me in the least. But yeah. I remember just thinking when I got to the end of it, I was like, God, yeah, like I was like, what? An-, and this is going to sound like a criticism, it's not. But I was like, what an interestingly one note film tone wise. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is because you're right. There's there's not a massive amount of like rise or fall, and it does play it like comparatively safe compared to some of the stuff that we might talk about. But, yeah. No, I mean you have got <laughs> you know issues like kids committing murder in this but it still plays it with a slight sort of amblin vibe i don't know that sort of 1984 kids on adventures in the forest that sort of thing yep 100 percent. yep it's just like what we tend to characterize as kids on bikes 
Sure. Yeah, kids on bikes. Yeah, yeah. I think if you can hang on to that mentality without physically having kids on bikes, I tend to respond to it better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> but speaking of kids on bikes, that's what he's just seen, isn't it? It seems to be a crash that he uh, he's rocked up by, and that's yeah. We met the Frank Langella character, and then when he called up Brainscan, he doesn't give his address, but somehow it mysteriously that's turns right. up in the post. He also doesn't yeah. uh, give his name, but the I think. Oh no, he does no. give his name. He does give his name. Yeah, and... Oh, it knows his name, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, does, it, does it just like somehow know how to address yeah. him in the first instance? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah when they first called. Uh, oh, we haven't mentioned that um, his his dad is away. Um, yep. Obviously, single parent. He's just left him. And uh, I, <laughs> 1994. Uh, well, this I think in America more, you know, you're coming towards the end of the, the latchkey generation when kids would always come home to empty houses. Yeah. Cause, and I suppose he is, they've set up that he's a, a single parent, so he's got to support them. Um, and also they live in a lovely suburban neighbourhood. But when people start dying, <laughs> and including his best friend, surely he should come home <laughs> when his son's friend has been brutally murdered. That's what I'm thinking. I don't but. even know if there's a phone call made to his dad. I think he's just like, I'll just deal with this tragedy upon tragedy on my own. Yeah. And I have my dad yeah, can pay for whatever therapy I need when he comes back. <laughs> It is the classic, though, isn't it? When it's just like when you hear the voicemail and it's like, hey, son, sorry, I'm away on a business trip doing business. As it turns out, the business is going to take a little longer. So I'm going to be businessing until the end of the week. <laughs> exactly that. It's always the delay as well. Okay, it's, oh, it's oh, oh, like later this case, it's like, all right, okay, I guess we're never going to beat the dad then. Um, I think it's also funny. Like, I love the fact that you mentioned the kind of like uh, Siri Igor character um, when he gets home and he's just basically just like, Igor, hold my calls. <laughs> That's, uh, I've forgotten his name, but the guy who plays Trickster, who we're about to meet, he's doing the voice of Igor. That's his impression of yeah. Boris Karloff, apparently. <laughs> so he's doing that. T Rider Smith. That's um, it. That's as, the one. Um, as Trickster. Yeah, we get our first look at Brain Scan the game here, where he kind of wears it up and he gets told that he's going to be watching a murder through the eyes of a killer. He has to complete the kill before the clock runs out. It must be an undetectable murder, blah, blah, blah. I was like, cool, okay, ready for this. I expected the kind of interface and the visual of this to be way more like a video game. And when it became this kind of like, when we were in way more like Peeping Tom territory, I was like, well, this is better. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you think it's about to go into a whole lawnmower man situation. Totally, uh, that's exactly right. Yeah, 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 yeah that's, that's right. Yeah. It looks, yeah, yeah. But then we turn, it's this POV, jello, black-gloved sort of real-life yeah, I actually think the film should be commended for only getting into Lawnmower Man territory in, like, the last ten minutes when, like, he's, like, absorbed into Trickster's mouth. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like, g- given how much this kind of, like, sets itself up in the kind of, like, almost, like, tech horror ballpark, you're right. I think that, like, swerving those things is definitely, like, doing itself a favour in terms of just kind of, like, being able to dodge obvious comparisons. Yeah. I also like the fact that you... you it seems like you have to call like a presumably some kind of premium number to play the game. Like every time, I don't know if it's like some kind of rudimentary dial-up modem thing or whatever, but it's like you have to call Brainscan to play it and have the disc and have the and disc. Have the disc yeah. So you put the disc in, then make the phone call, and then it connects together and with your brain. Yeah, and I noticed like the first three times he uses the number, then he must put it on his speed dial because like the last time he does it, he's like, "Igor, call brain scan." I'm like, when did he do that? He, yeah, he's he's saved it then into contact at that point. And also, and also, each time he goes under, it's a different setup of how we see it, which I found a bit confusing. But then, you know, looking back, I'm like, oh, actually, I kind of like it because this one's all POV. Yeah. And actually, this is quite brutal. Mm, it yeah. sets it up, you know, where he, he has to go and commit this murder of this sleeping guy. 
And the stabbing in the guy's back is really brutal. And then he fuck has to chop his foot off. <laughs> yeah. I actually, like, this is actually, we're talking about the fact that this film plays it relatively safe. This is probably, like, the most brutal individual yeah. moment in it, I would say. Agreed. Totally. Right there at the beginning. But, um, you're right about, see the, like, the fact that, like, yeah, it's like, when you're wiring yourself in to go and commit this murder, to put the disc in, do the intro bit, and call the premium rate number... Would have been great when it got to the end of it, when it was like obviously like, kind of like you learn the real reality of it. It's like everything's fine apart from the fact that that was a premium rate phone number and your phone bill is sixteen grand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he he um he go he basically just goes and murders a stranger within the game. The it's it's not a surprising revelation that we come to learn next that that murder <laughs> happened in uh, in the real world. But I was kind of like it was a fun inevitability. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I don't believe that they honestly thought anyone was suddenly going to go, what? It really <laughs> happened? <laughs> but yeah. I, I thought this was all happening under incredibly controlled circumstances. Yes. What is this film? What I just mentioned very quickly at this point, because I think that when we rejoin uh, Michael back in his room or around this time, uh, there's like some white zombie playing. The soundtrack to this, same nothing the score, yeah. the soundtrack to this is banging like primus pitch shifter white zombie it's like sign me up for all of that put that to my veins that primus moment is one of my favorite moments in the film when uh trickster sticks it on and when he puts it on and what does he say oh he says never leave home without it and then puts it on so good with primus yeah but yeah we're back in the real world or kind of like we're back to kind of like everyday life he tells kyle about the game kyle obviously wants a piece of the action which michael's not particularly up for kyle's a bit of a dick about this video game thing like (laughs) Give the guy a chance to play his game. Stop like haranguing him. He's told you he'll give you it when the time is right. At least drop it. Yeah, and also you've got that copy of Fangoria yourself. Just call the number yourself. It turns up free apparently. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, you're right. It's not like it's like it's not like it's like oh, it costs three hundred quid and I don't have three hundred yeah. quid lying around. It's like yeah, he like literally showed the faintest shimmer of curiosity <laughs> and got it posted to his house. Like he yeah. could presumably just do the same thing. Also Get your think, own, Kyle. Yeah, I also think like <laughs> even if, if it's the if it's the kind of calling the premium line that's the issue, like ask your mum and tell her you're getting a video game for free. I'm sure she'll yeah. let you. How great would it have been if it was like welcome to Brain Scan, a horrifying immersive experience. Please ask the bill payer's permission before calling. <laughs> Um, you know they do that really fast thing now where they like blow through all the legal stuff where they're like cost cost £2.50 from a land may cause mild cases of murder (laughs) yes it's always that may cause death (laughs) (laughs) yeah we learn about the murder happening in real life when Michael heads over to try and talk to Kimberly and we see it on the news like exposition news Oh, that's a good point. He desperately wants to see her for some reason. He goes over there so that he can then see the news. <laughs> <laughs> fair, fair. I uh, uh, hope you don't mind. I just wanted to use your TV. Yeah. I'm very interested in current affairs and I don't own a television. <laughs> he kind of skulks around the crime scene and he has a second encounter with Detective Hayden, kind of what's presumably the day after this. Yeah, he's not doing himself any favours in terms of kind of like getting side-eyed by what is presumably a fairly high-ranking police official. Yeah, yeah he's like a lieutenant. And uh, also, th- he mentions he's crossed the police line, so I'm like, well, you're asking for trouble here, dude. If there's a yellow tape that we didn't see this happen, but apparently he's mm. lifted it up and gone under. Yeah. Because <laughs> I, like, I remember thinking, I was just like, I was like, oh, you shouldn't be here, man. You know, you're playing with fire. And then when, when Frank Langella's like, uh, there's a police line that you ducked underneath, I was like, for fuck, do yourself some favours, man. Play yeah. the game. You're on the crime scene. 
Jesus. <laughs> yeah, they're discovering the foot in the fridge moment here, which is obviously yeah. kind of like the film kind of like literally just like the reason that the film drops the foot in your lap is this unambiguous thing. It's like obviously he died in real life and he killed him. However, more to the point, Trickster, the kind of mascot of the game, for the yeah. first time here, crosses over and enters the kind of real world so he can interact with Michael and I feel like it is as good a point as any to just talk kind of broadly about T-Rider Smith as Trickster in this sure. uh, because I think that he is brilliant yeah. he is yeah. he, he absolutely is he was a, a theatre actor They uh, that's what he was uh, known for and what they where they found him they found him by seeing him on stage and um, you can totally see that is that he's got that theatrical flair he's got that sort of Jim Carrey Riddler bounciness mm. and that Drop Dead Fred sort of comedy the design's great I mean he looks terrifying he looks scary I, I think he's Real. and yeah. I, I was really surprised he didn't go on to do many more films after this I was messaging Andy while I was watching it and um, in that kind of first scene where you meet him the, the things that came to mind for me immediately were kind of like basically every iteration of the Joker to the point like I mean it's obviously a very dark iteration of this because he breaks all his fingers but almost the genie from Aladdin <laughs> Begin that way, that kind of like that weird, like physical manipulation of yourself. But also, and this is this might be deep cut, but do you remember a series called The Ink Thief? Oh no! It was a kids show, but it was very, very sinister, and it was also a musical. But it had Richard O'Brien as this like pale-faced villain who stole the power of imagination by draining words from literature. Wow! Okay. Oh wow! Right. It was like a time tease production in like nineteen ninety four. So it was the yeah, it was it was exactly contemporaneous with this. But for the I haven't I've, like I was obsessed with it when I was eight when it came out, and I don't oh, think I sounds... thought about it for minimum twenty years. But I was like massive ink thief vibes, and now I've gone and dug it up, and I'm probably gonna watch the whole thing before I go to bed. But um, <laughs> but yeah, those were those were my kind of comparator beats that I thought yeah. there. I was but... getting a bit of Sammy Kerr from uh, Trick or Treat as well. Sure. Ah. Yeah, and uh, I've got to say, I was absolutely loving Trickster's red velvet jacket. Oh, it's fantastic! The whole the whole metal vibe. It's the mullet, mohawk, curly goes all the way down his back. Yeah, the the red jacket, the leather trousers. He's proper rock. I love it. Yep, it's great. It's like, it's such a weird combination of elements, but it's just perfect. He's brilliant. The plot is about to thicken here because Trickster alludes to the fact that there has been a witness and kind of nudges them in the direction of disc two because basically he's like, here, there's loose ends here, mate. What are yeah. you going to do about it? Um, yeah, four discs, isn't it? He says, yeah, yeah, he says right. there's four discs to complete the game. That's right. At this point, there's a kind of like, oh, there's a kind of a chase or a kind of almost kind of slapstick sequence where he's trying to bury the foot. <laughs> And the dog won't leave him alone. In the woods. Yeah. yeah. The whole I, the whole thing felt so unnecessary as a scene because he could have just straight away burnt the foot. But um, they obviously wanted to just get in this, this whole thing and also get the return of the dog later. But yeah, so the dog comes and sees him trying to bury the foot. Then the dog takes the foot. Then yeah. it leaves the foot. Brings it by. And then, uh, yeah, it's yeah. ridiculous. Think... And then when the man's sort of looking into the bush to the dog, where the boy is just lying with a couple of bits of leaves over yeah. him, he just somehow doesn't see him. There's so much of that. Like, <laughs> that almost that exact same thing almost uh, happens later on with a police officer as well. Maybe this scene's all just in service of kind of building the rapport with the dog that he seems to have the next time we see them together. Like, they're, they're firm friends. Is. Yeah, because they, he manages to sort of speak to him later. <laughs> <laughs> sure they're old yeah. friends i actually I, in my just look at in my notes <laughs> that whole section i just wrote dog situation <laughs> that's how i described it general <laughs> dog situation disgust yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um what what i will say is i'll well, just about i'm um, just just before we move entirely past it 
See when Trickster shows up as well. See just when when he starts like going through his stuff and like throwing it on the floor and stuff like that. There is something about people interacting with other people's environments like that that gets under my skin mm. in a way that I can't articulate. Uh, dis- because it's like, so disrespectful. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it exactly. It's like um, it's like yeah, like it's like in Mother when you see people like with their feet on the furniture and stuff like that. We've been told not to do that. That's the thing about that film that unsettles me the most. And like, and it's like and, like with things like this as well. I'm just like, don't do that. <laughs> And it's like it's, it's like it's just one of those things that it's taken me ages to realize. It's like a massive button of mine, but it's like yeah, gets the job done. Disc two has arrived. We learn this yes. during an encounter between Michael and Kimberly after he has a wee encounter with Kyle as well. Yeah, where they have another kind of like it's kind of seeded this kind of this ongoing fight that they're having about whether or not he's going to give them the first disc. <laughs> um, so yeah, Stevie, you mentioned the fact that the format of the discs or how we get it kind of fed to us changes every time. Um, yeah, and yeah, this one. Uh, very different in that he has no recollection of this whatsoever when obviously in the first one it's kind of like it's kind of fed to us that he has this very kind of like or fairly sophisticated understanding vivid he's there Yeah. yeah and then this one he has the foresight to film himself playing it with his own camcorder so he sets up his camcorder smart while he's in the chair yeah super smart that's what i wrote down very smart but then yeah he doesn't seem to have a memory of what he's done so this time he wakes up in the chair and he checks the camcorder and he sees that he's actually got up and left to go and do something but are we meant to believe then that he does remember that he actually killed his friend in this one or is his memory blank it seems like his memory is blank because he there's never even a flash of recollection of the moment that he kills kyle it's just the only thing that he can kind of tie to the fact that perhaps he was responsible is Kyle's oversized dagger necklace that he kind of <laughs> yeah. in, in the fridge. Yeah, as in the the, fr- the fridge of bits. Like, where he just I understand. To... I understand the foot being in the fridge, yeah. but the necklace. I'm not sure. That's why. Just wear it. <laughs> I'll need to put this in here in case it gets gangrenous. <laughs> right. Just wash it well, off. Then you definitely, like, it's not going to putrefy. No, it's a necklace. And actually, that the necklace is in the freezer, and that's the worst. You do not want to get blood on that ice because it spreads, and the whole thing will be pink. There you go. God, when Detective Hayden shows up, <laughs> it's going to be a smoking gun. <laughs> right? <laughs> pink ice. Book of Dano. <laughs> oh, and this is one of those, I think, coming up, Mitch, one of those moments that I actually found really disrespectful and pissed me off. It's when he goes back, because I think the detective turns up and he's questioning him a bit. He's obviously, he's very, he's suspecting Michael. But then when he goes back upstairs, Trickster's trashed the place with food. He's eating everything. He's eating a raw chicken. He's just sitting, that's right, he's just sitting eating a raw chicken as if it was a big fucking apple. (laughs) But yeah, you're right, there's like like milk spillages all over the floor. That's kind of thing. Yeah, no, I had the exact same effect for me. I think that happens as well. I remember having the same feeling of, oh God, that's so annoying that he's done that. Do you remember Little Monsters as well? I was actually just going to mention Little Monsters earlier when you were talking about films with kids who have like invisible friends or like secret monster pals. I was going to mention that because I just revisited it the other week on the Vestron Blu-ray that came out. Oh, Uh, what a film. Yeah. But yeah, in that as well, there's a bit where he's sort of raiding the fridge. And I always remember it was so frustrating because they don't need to make all this mess. But yeah, he's done that as well. What a dick. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, we get this kind of sad moment after Kyle's died and uh, Kimberly comes over and she's like, oh, you know, because obviously we we understand that they're not in good terms when he dies. But she comes out and she's like, oh, he'd actually like started this petition to save the horror club and all this kind of thing. And it's like, oh, that's dead lovely. But I think it's really funny that she's like, um, 
because the reason that she had it, it's like, oh, he came to my house. And she's like, oh, my dad didn't want to let him in. And he's like, ha, sounds like Kyle. And I was like, yep, repulsive <laughs> to adults. <laughs> in fairness, though, her parents didn't seem exactly keen to let Michael into their house either. No, that's true. That's true. But I, I thought it was funny that like he was just like, oh, classic Kyle. It's like, yep, nobody's entirely comfortable having him in their home. Also, <laughs> going back to an earlier point, we don't know that the club has been cancelled, so that's a petition that might just be a waste of time. Yeah. Michael's getting paranoid, though, that the net is closing on him. That's and not paranoia. That... It is. Like, it clearly, well, yeah, the net is. quite clearly that's... is. That's true, yeah. I guess he's just stressed out that the fact that the net is demonstrably closing on him. <laughs> really good exchange here, I think, between him and Trickster. Because it comes in, and I kind of feel like what's going to happen is that Trickster is going to kind of lean into the guilt of it. But what happens instead is he's like, well, you know, you don't remember it. Why should you have any of the guilt? It's like, yeah. like, like you know, it's like, yeah, this is like an expanse in your head. You don't remember it. It's like, why should you feel bad? Yeah. Yeah, they have a little moral moment, don't they? Yeah, I think that all the times that, or all the time, should I say, that this film spends on moralising between Trickster and Michael is all mm. really, really good. All the best dialogue in this film is reserved for Trickster. His dialogue's amazing. Yes, it is written so well. And then when you get an actor like that, it just... The, you live for these moments. You can't wait for them to be back together and reunited each time. Such as in Drop Dead Fred, you know, it's the, yeah. that relationship that's the, the, the best bits in it. Yeah, I think that things that go on elsewhere in this that in lesser films might have tried my patience i think that the mm. reason or one of the reasons that they don't is because they're all kind of like bookended or bookmarked by these things that i think are so great yeah what i do like about the dynamic between michael and trickster though is it's always fraught there's never a moment where they become friendly or they have like a laugh together it's always like on this constant tipping point of michael like wrecking the place and going to the police and handing himself in doesn't it so it's never like it's never like a friendship it's just this kind of yeah. weird uneasy alliance where michael has to rely on trickster to kind of guide him through this and that made me question sometimes why isn't he just stopping but i guess it's trickster is setting him up and saying oh you're gonna get caught if you don't do the yeah. next disc mm -hmm. because isn't the next one evidence um that your your limpy footprints will be on the flower bed or something <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's what he says, but <laughs> I'm not going to say it's a direct quote. But yeah, it's not going to fall apart. Yeah, T Trickster is kind of always there to be an agent of chaos and nudge him towards more and kind of like you know and remind him you know got two discs to go and all this kind of thing. See, so, yeah, the potentially problematic moment that you identified earlier happens here, where Michael has the dream slash nightmare where um he's in bed with Kimberly and then she turns into the dead guy and starts choking him. Knowing what we know, that's kind of weird, but as a nightmare <laughs> sequence, pretty good. Yeah, it works. It works fine. <laughs> as long as you know you know the age after the fact <laughs> the important thing is that you don't know the grim reality of it when you're watching it <laughs> oh i have um i have an issue with the next bit so oh, I, I have questions about the next bit so you go first yeah so um he goes to sort out the crime scene and get rid of his footprints in, the in the dot. Yep. flower bed sort of i think <laughs> whilst he's doing that there's a forensics guy inside dusting for fingerprints mm -hmm. then <laughs> trickster <laughs> calls the phone inside the house and the forensics guy picks up and then trickster blows up that michael is in the, in the garden yeah. and there's a trespasser yeah kind of yes. flies in the face of everything that trickster's been trying to get michael to do <laughs> yes this is what i don't understand i mean his name, Why, if he wants him to get caught suppose i mean his name alone 
he's a trickster. So <laughs> I don't ah, know. Like, maybe he's just kind of like what you see is what you get with him. So like, it, all, all bets are off. If I mean, like you know, there's there's being a trickster and there's just doing incredibly reckless things that are counterintuitive to your entire agenda. <laughs> you said, Mitch, she's an agent of chaos. <laughs> Yeah, I guess. Um, see when uh, when Kimberly shows up at his house, what is she apologising for? Uh, the story, the, the sold paper. story. So that private conversation they had about Kyle winds up somehow on the front page of the Gazette, In the quoting Michael. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> quoting the stuff that Michael said to her. And, right. Uh, so Got she's you. upset because he thinks that uh, she's sold a story. It's sort of very strange, tenuous sort of subplot there but um i think it's there to uh, put some tension between the two of them basically and i guess also to kind of like give more general credence to the notion that like public perception of michael might not be that great yeah, yeah. absolutely when michael's doing the all the flower bed stuff uh that's is that i think detective hayden uh takes the opportunity to sneak into michael's house and take the ash from mm. his fire yeah. to go which we which we later find out contains traces of blood but my problem is he doesn't have a warrant so actually that can't be used as evidence against him <laughs> so that was a silly move It'll you be know dismissed. what it's it's a good job this didn't make it to trial because his face would have been red when that was inadmissible <laughs> yes exactly completely inadmissible <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, that's, you're in the right place, but you should have got a warrant. <laughs> See, around this time when, um, because uh, it's like Detective Hayden is like putting together this search party. Yeah, yeah, the kind of neighbourhood watch. The townsfolk. Yeah. Yes, uh-huh. There's like a kind of hunt and chase sequence around here where Michael's kind of running around on the periphery of this group. This kind of feels a, like padding to me until it doesn't. You mean until he's caught by Fromberg and stuff like that? Yeah, I was kind of like, ah, oh, what are they doing here? And then I kind of realised that it does quite a lot of quite necessary and quite shrewd moving around the pieces on the board to get us to where we need to go next. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's the whole Tom and Jerry moment with the bricks falling down. and I'm not like I... that. I, no, it's great. <laughs> I, I'm going to need you two to help me, though, with this whole oh <laughs> shooting bit, because I uh, do not okay. know what the F happened. So what happens is, I think, there's a moment earlier where Frank Langella very clearly says to the townsfolk, like, I don't want any of you to be carrying any weapons. If I see you carrying weapons, I'm going to take them off you, or I'm going to arrest you. And yeah. I think that's exactly what happens here. One of the cops, I think it might actually be the forensic guy, just abandons his post and gives chase. And he eventually <laughs> catches up with uh, Michael, and he's armed. And when the cops, t- uh, so when the locals turn around, they're also armed, and they see this guy, just a random guy with a kid and a gun, and they open fire on him. That makes complete sense now. I don't think it's very clear because it really looks like he stops and raises the gun to one of the townsfolk yeah. and then they shoot him. I think so he very well may do that because he's turned a corner and there's a group of guys with guns and I suppose if you're a, if you're a police officer, right. the first thing you're going to do is put your guns down. Um, so he and raises yeah. his gun and they raise their guns and he comes off the, the worst in that exchange and is blown away by the shotgun. Thank you. Um, Stevie, a, if, if it is uh, if it is vindicating to you even slightly, I needed the exact same help with how that yeah, unfolded. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, I've needed that help for twenty years, to be fair. But yeah, we do understand that the final loose end in this is uh, is Kimberly. Sure. Because mm-hmm. after um, after Michael kind of runs away from the shooting scene, she sees him, and it's embroidered him that he needs to kill her to uh, to kind of to kind of settle this once and for all. Yeah. Uh, he breaks into the room, doesn't hurt her, and um, Trickster emerges at this point 
he kind of can't bring himself to hurt her and Trickster appears and I think probably again unsurprisingly but no less fun for knowing it was coming reveals that he kind of represents Michael's kind of darkest impulses yeah 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 I thought it was but the <clears throat> okay maybe it does I thought because of what's coming the sort of twist it kind of deletes that a bit for me though because I thought this was going to go further this is a full-on Babadook moment of you know this is a manifestation of his trauma and his grief and he has to face it but I I, I wanted a bit more apparently this bit was originally they filmed it they filmed something else when they meld into each other this whole sort of videodrome type stuff and apparently it was absolutely grotesque and they turn into this creature basically this sort of uh, trauma creature and they filmed it and um, I don't think anyone's ever seen it Uh, but then they brought it back to um to what it is now yeah and to be honest what you're describing there i'd be so interested in seeing this big practical mishmash of trickster and michael way more than i am the terrible digital effects that they use here um, which feel bad even for 94 well yeah when you think videodrome was what 10 years before this yeah and it did this sort of stuff a bit better you're right as well in that it would have been much better if it had done kind of a Babadook moment where it was like oh, it was an embodiment of this kind of like part of himself that he had to conquer and it felt, mm-hmm. and it felt more like one kind of like triumphing over the other rather than mm-hmm. him I guess kind of like he because he, basically he's, he's about to kill her and then she just talks him back from the kind of stabby brink by revealing that she's as creepy as he is <laughs> yes and she says I love you I take pictures of you secretly too and he's just like he's just like oh my god that's hot and then like um, <laughs> and... <laughs> But then, but then Trickster was like, ah, I knew you couldn't do it, but also, here comes Frank Langella. And I was like, ah, that feels a <laughs> yeah. little bit convenient. Behind door number three. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and let's see what trauma you could have conquered. <laughs> I mean, Hayden barges in here, right? And there's a, there's a lot of kind of glancing back and forward between all our kind of main players. And then Hayden blows Michael away, which kind of heralds, I guess, the end of this whole sordid chapter of the film because the next shot is michael like waking up like bolt upright having finished the game now to me he's failed the game he what that's game over surely like he has failed that he hasn't completed the game he has failed the game (laughs) yeah yeah that makes yeah that's true the point of the the game is not to die surely (laughs) yeah like any game (laughs) yeah and then on a metaphoric level he's fine that i i just felt there's something missing that yeah. where we find mm. he's got over something or he's learnt this giant yeah. lesson or somehow they've brought back in the thread with the mum and it is, they link that back up but it, there's just nothing there. He just like passes it on and goes, this is a cool game. Yeah, if nothing else, <laughs> like, the way we were talking about it a minute ago about him potentially trying to kind of beat his trauma and kind of put his grief to rest once and for all, if nothing else, then surely Hayden barging in and shooting Michael rather than shooting some kind of image, a trickster or something, would technically be killing then the good part of Michael. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. And all that would be left would be this id that is trickster. And with this game, the way it works, is it already set out that whoever plays it, they are going to go on this journey where they end up killing someone and then the people around them start to suspect them? Or was that an idea controlled within Michael's mind? If that's the case, and his brain is thinking about killing people, he needs to be on a list. You yeah, know, he needs sure. be, mm-hmm. People need to watch out. He's a person of interest. Absolutely. So I'd like to know 
the rules of what the game adds and what you add. That would be good. And I think that actually, and this isn't something I'd considered until we started digging into where this could have gone, that I think that it's kind of frustrating that the film writes itself to such an interesting juncture and then kind of cops out a little bit because like, because yeah. it does seem like there's ways where you could have pulled it into being more of a character piece about Michael and what he has going on and what we understand about his past and stuff like that. But that's not to say that the reveal of this being kind of like a false bottom mm-hmm. of where the kind of like of where the kind of game and reality lie isn't fun. No, 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 it's fine. Oh yeah, it's totally fine. Simple. For a minute, I was kind of like, I was temporarily like, is this about to Dallas us? And am I okay with that? <laughs> yeah, it was all. And then because when he wakes up and it's like much more plaintively being like, you've just played Brain Scan. I bet it was scary. Yeah. Thanks yeah. for doing that. And that, like, um, the, the pool party's still going on next door. Like white zombie are still blasting out. So yeah, and he goes over to Kim's. But the thing is, she does have those pictures. She has been mm-hmm. taking them. So how <laughs> did the game know? Oh God. Because he didn't know at that point. That she'd unless also he, been unless he did, then it was just some. Unless he did subconscious. see it through his lens, and it was in his subconscious yeah. somewhere. Yeah, maybe it was. There's, a, last, there's the, um... actually a lot of questions in this last kind of stretch of the film for me. Uh, there's a lot of things that don't quite make sense or work. Go on. Oh right, I, I, I was going to get to them. I was going to get to them organically. Thanks very much, Stevie. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> nope. I require bullet points this instant. No. <laughs> I'm using Miracle Grow on that. Um, <laughs> particularly the bit in the, the mid-credits, where Trickster's like, oh, by the way, did you forget about this? And then we see the dog with the foot in its mouth, and I was like, I didn't forget about it, but if you're telling us that this is actually happening, then it makes no fucking sense at all. <laughs> I mean, I suppose that's fair. I mean, like, I mean, we should probably tie in with like how this actually resolves itself, because um, Michael goes and talks to Kimberly. It's strongly alluded to that they're going to get together. Obviously, Kyle was also still alive. He uh, puts the moves on someone who's dressed like a French beat poet. <laughs> <laughs> By the She's way, a great character. Kimberly yeah. doesn't like Kimberly doesn't tell him outright that she loves him. She she's very cute, plays it very cool. She's very cagey. Like yeah, maybe we'll go out. Maybe we'll go out one day. And he is fine with her. Maybe like he pins all his yeah. hopes on her. Maybe. Well, she's a bit all over the place. She says no, then she says maybe, and then she kisses him. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I would say like I would like the maybe with the kids. I would say I would probably be coming away from that feeling reasonably optimistic as well. We do get uh, the 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 passing of the disc. I, I guess as a kind of punishment to Fromberg, uh, he is gifted brain scan. And I, I suppose if there is a moment where we see uh, a relationship between Trickster and Michael, it's in this moment when uh, yes when they, they essentially they say goodbye across Fromberg's office yeah yeah he appears behind him doesn't he and it's almost like a we've been through something together yeah. I see pass, passing the baton it's a good ending in the fact that like fun stinger endings are inherently good but also yeah. like um uh but yeah like uh it's a nice tie back into the principal kind of like being kind of stuffy and being kind of insistent on inserting himself into these censorship conversations <laughs> and all that kind of thing like yeah it's a fun kind of fuck you with that but yeah absolutely yeah we would like definitely need to check in with that before we finish up but yeah um with that we're done on brain scan andy like i say you'd you'd seen this obviously you have a longer timeline with mm-hmm. this than i did any new thoughts from this watch or just affirming how much you kind of dig it yeah i think i actually think it's pretty good and it's a, i kind of wish i'd gone back to it a bit more in the intervening years couple of things like we've kind of discussed that don't quite hang together and haven't aged particularly well and don't look particularly good in 2021 but those are all minor gripes i actually think uh and you you know mitch i'm not a massive tech horror guy like i can take or leave any of that shit i don't i don't 
want computers in my films, like yeah. necessarily. <laughs> so, uh, like, unless it's Death Spa, I don't want computers anywhere near it. I, I had a great time with it. I really enjoyed it. I'm glad that it was what the one the film that you went for, Stevie. Yeah, I'm glad. As a first watch for me, I got to say, um, like Stevie, I got to hand it to you. Actually, this is one of my favorite things that I've watched for this in a while. Um, yeah, I um, I kind of just had a sneaking suspicion that I was gonna get along with it from early doors. I think that there was just kind of like something about the general tone and feel that I was just like, yeah, sure. Definitely. Let's just see where this goes. And I just think that that general curiosity and that general kind of fun just never really kind of let up from yeah. there. Yeah, I, I, I thought I, th- I think this is great. I think that like um, perfect choice for this. I think that um, for listeners of ours that haven't seen it, that go and seek it out. I think that they're going to have a really good time with it. Uh, great, great shout. Yay. So, Stevie, we got to talk about Brain Rot, your mm, podcast. From Brain um, Scan to Brain Rot. Indeed. Yes. The now... Brain Scan has found Brain Rot. <laughs> So obviously, uh, you've hit the ground running. I think it's fair to say. Uh, <laughs> I would say that's fair. Yeah. With brain rot, I'm like, uh, and I like the fact as well. Kind of like, I, I, like I took a look, like kind of a look back through everything you've covered and all the people you've covered them with so far. Um, and that was kind of like obviously one of the kind of starting points. We'd heard some episodes and we we looked at the kind of stuff that you were doing, and it's like, yeah, we should we should get in touch with this guy. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, when we first started talking about it, Andy was like, you had Stephen Fry watching Slugs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you want to just uh, tell us a little bit, just uh, kind of broadly, about Brain Rock? The, the basic idea I've had for years, but I've just never got off my arse to do it. Yeah. Um, I've always wanted to do a horror podcast because I, I've always wanted to just collate because I can't store things for too long without having to revisit them. I, I've always wanted to collate everything I see in some sort of way. And basically it started like that, almost like viewing it as a creating my own VHS library, mm. but having them all down. Mm-hmm. And um, I, 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 I've done single episodes years ago, tried here and there until it eventually just, you know, the pandemic, um, I sat around for most of it on my ass. And then once yeah. that got boring, I thought, right, I'm just going to do it and do it for me. So I decided to try and make a mix of, having horror heads on there, people who are like aficionados and can talk about all these films that I was obsessed with as a kid that just recreate that time of going into a VHS store and seeing the floor to ceiling covers and Mm -hmm. just those B movies because that's what I grew up on the you know the better the cover the shittier the movie usually because that's all they had to sell it and so they were the ones I picked up because I was so young and underage that I'd Mm -hmm. pick up the amazing covers which had the shitty films and I just loved them so then yeah for this I wanted to recruit people who are horror fans that haven't seen them and then people who have absolutely no business watching them whatsoever (laughs) and just get everyone in of all different levels of uh, horror viewing and uh, just see how it goes. And it's just so much fun. And um, and most of them I haven't seen for 20, 25 years. So (laughs) it's always a bit of a shock to me as well. Stuff that, uh, that landed then that doesn't quite now. I think that one of the things that I ca- I find kind of particularly cool and kind of interesting about what you do is exactly what you just mentioned there, where you talk about pulling in guests from all over the spectrum yeah. in terms of kind of like sensibilities, what they do, their attachment to the genre, stuff like that. What informs how you decide who watches what film? That's a really interesting one. With some people, I've sent a list. Like when mm-hmm. I had Mark Kermode on. Uh-huh. Um, I that thought, was Basket right, Case, wasn't it? Yeah, that yeah. was a classic case. And I and I thought, I'm not going to just send one to him. I, I'm going to send a list and um, and he can choose because, because of the brain, the sort of um, the cine literacy that he has. So I sent a list and I really wanted him to pick basket case. And so I made sure that was there. And then some that were probably less, 
less easy to talk about, yeah. less themes. And um, luckily he just, he picked that. And then, and of course I, I was thinking I'd have to do all the talking, but he knew everything about it. He's met the director he, at the screening and, you know, he had all these stories. Mm-hmm. And then, and then some people, um, I like to inflict films upon them. So for instance, Stephen Fry, there's no way he was picking. He said he'd, he'd uh, guessed and come on. So I was like, I want him to watch <laughs> Slugs because I, I try and picture the person watching it. That's a good rule of thumb, I think. Yeah, yeah. You think the of them watching it. watching it while I'm watching it. And then I've just had uh, just recorded with Graham Norton. I'm not going to say who, uh, what film I mean. Right. Uh, wow, but I picked a really good one by just picturing him watching. Amazing. Incredible, very um, good fun. That's amazing. Um, yeah, I mean, like Stevie, it's like for one thing, it's a great show that you've got in your hands there. But um, just in terms of just kind of like hitting the ground running with momentum in terms of just guests and everything sounding great and all that kind of thing like can't say enough good things about it man yeah oh mate, really i really great, appreciate man. that really great thank you where can people hunt you down and the podcast as well on social media yeah well on social media i'm mr stevie webb across the board very formal. Uh, and then huh yes very and I'm, i remember i thought it was really cool and ironic at the time and that when twitter started and uh turns out so many people have the mr and i thought i'd be really original but now i can't uh so yeah and then uh, brain rot on twitter is stevie's brain rot and then you can find the actual podcast on all the usual platforms perfect stevie this has been so much fun thank you for taking the time to do this with us thank you thank you for asking me i can't wait to be on again yeah well, well happened. you're more than welcome back anytime sir because amazing i get to be on the just about anything you pick provided we haven't done it before because i, I think there's probably a fair amount of overlap in our 150 yeah, yeah, totally. episode back catalog but I, i'm sure there's things in there that you could still pick from that uh we could have a bit yeah no i think we're all uh we're all plucked from the same pool the three of us so i think <laughs> uh yeah i think we have a, a broad future ahead of us oh, i hope so i hope so yes indeed yeah <laughs> Just for the sake of a peek behind the curtain, I'm going to let everyone know that we recorded last week's episode with Mike Munzer and the episode that you're hearing right now on back-to-back evenings. Yes, yes we did. What a pleasant two days this has been. It's been absolutely lovely uh, to be joined by Mike and then Stevie, two incredibly knowledgeable people about their chosen genre, their chosen field. It's it's just been great and two amazing films as well. I can't really uh, say much more than that. It's been a great couple of days viewing, I have to say. Really has been. And a huge thank you to Stevie Webb, of course, of the Brain Rot podcast, joining us this week to talk brain scan. Great time. Yeah, amazing. And if you haven't checked out Brain Rot yet, please, please do. It's everywhere on all your podcast providers, you'll find it. Stephen Fry watches Slugs, guys. What else do you need to know? My absolute madness. Having seen Slugs many, many times, that's mad. <laughs> Absolute insanity. However, we are done for another one. However, we do hope that you'll be back with us on Monday for another mini We'll be here. We'll be talking about what we've been watching. We will be examining nature and its tendency to go wild. We'll be taking a look at your feedback. We'll be playing with just pictures. We're we'll letting you know everything that you need to know for this coming week's episode as well. All the usual stuff. Very busy 
However, the feedback section will be pretty thin if you guys don't get in touch with us. So do that if you'd like as well. Facebook and Instagram are Strong Language Violent Scenes. You can tweet us as well at Strong Violent PC. You can join the conversation on the Facebook group, The Chudlocker, and you can, of course, also email strongvioluntscenes at gmail.com. Some fat Patreon content coming soon as well, guys, so keep your eye on the feeds. And as always, thank you. Thank you for being patrons. We love you very much. We sure do. We're back on Monday with another mini-sode. Join us then if you can. In the meantime, don't forget, it is better to die hero than live as food in a world of chats goodbye bye you've been listening to strong language and violent scenes with andy stewart and mitch bain strong language and violent scenes theme by mitch bain production and artwork by andy stewart find us on stitcher itunes spotify google podcasts and podbean